Welcome back to the Last Push podcast. On today's episode, we're going to continue on with kind of what we've been doing so far, which is I'm going to go through an overview of the whole section that is going to come up on a paper. And so far, what we've covered, we've covered biology paper one, we've covered section one and section two. But today, I'm going to give a run through of that third section for your biology paper one, and that is infection and response. So um, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, most likely today, because there's actually a little bit less content compared to the first and the second sections. Um, but we're going to try to delve deep into those and go over those key concepts so that you guys feel really, really confident about that. So Grab some paper, grab a pen, and let's get intentional with our studies. Okay, and welcome back. So hopefully you guys have got yourself in a nice, quiet area, and you've got a good learning environment, and you guys are ready to really get down and concentrate on some of this stuff that we're going to talk through today. So infection and response. The first thing really um, that we need to go over are just kind of some key terms um, because they come up a lot in this section. You have to be able to know about them in order to be really, really confident. So the first thing that you guys need to know are that pathogens are microorganisms. Micro meaning really, really small organism meaning they are a living thing so microorganism they're usually single celled they're extremely small you look at them underneath a microscope a lot of times you can't see them with your naked eye so pathogens are microorganisms such as viruses and bacteria and they cause infectious diseases in animals and in plants and there are a few that you need to actually have memorized and know a little bit of detail about in terms of the animal and the plant communicable diseases which we'll get to in the middle of this podcast so these pathogens really depend on their host And when I'm talking about a host, I'm talking about these pathogens and these viruses and these bacteria, they'll actually be living inside of things. And that's the host. So it could be an animal, it could be a pig, it could be a cat, it could be a dog, it could be humans. It could also be any type of plant as well as a host. And basically those pathogens, they depend on the host because the host will provide conditions and nutrients in order for those pathogens and those microorganisms to be able to grow and reproduce. Um, And these pathogens, what they do and what you need to try to remember for your exam is what they will actually produce and they'll make toxins which damage tissues and which can damage cells. And that's what makes us feel ill. Um, So really, in terms of us protecting ourselves against these viruses and these bacterias, we need to reduce the amount of contact we have with them. And I'm sure you've been following the news and that is something that they're talking about a lot right now because it is a current event in terms of reducing the spread, reducing the contact because these pathogens in these microorganisms, they can move to host from host to host. Um, 
any type of bacteria, any type of virus. That's why when we start talking about those plant bacteria and those plant viruses, one of the main things that a gardener or an ecologist is told to do is if they notice that part of their plant has an infection, what they're usually asked to do is remove that part of the plant. Or if the whole plant um, in a section um, you notice it has a bacteria or a virus, what you do is you completely remove that plant so that it doesn't damage your entire crop. Um, so you just quarantine it, um, you put it off to the side, and you can try to deal with um, the plants, virus, or bacteria before moving it back with all the other plants. Um, and then we're going to talk about barriers. So how our body actually protects us from these pathogens. We've got lots of great defense mechanisms that we don't always think about. For example, skin. For example, the little tiny hairs in our nose and our ears mucus. We'll get into that as well. So all these things that actually help protect us and keep pathogens and microorganisms out of our body. And then what we really need to focus on is how our immune system responds and how our immune system actually acts and what are the steps that our immune system does to protect us and keep us healthy and safe after that pathogen has entered our bodies. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And then we really move on to kind of um, drugs and drug development and vaccination. Because since the 1940s, um, there were a lot of antibiotics that were produced. A lot of antibiotics that were actually discovered. Penicillin with Fleming. Um, he discovered a penicillin, penicillin mold. Sorry, penicillin mold. And he was able to actually develop an antibiotic from that. So really, really good discoveries and great advancements in science. Um, and we really learned how to make a lot of drugs and a lot of vaccines. And we've become really good at it, actually, because throughout um, history, we've been able to study and learn more about the different DNA within these viruses and these bacteria, and we can pinpoint that and be able to make a vaccine that will actually kill it and destroy it. A lot of bacteria, though, bacteria like like humans, like if you look at actually the history of the planet, bacteria have evolved. And over time, bacteria, some bacteria are able to be strong enough and be able to adapt in a way where they can become resistant to these antibiotics. And that just means that we as a scientific community, we need to be always checking and ongoing and adapting and making new antibiotics, new vaccines for new viruses that are being made um, and that are coming out. Um, so we do that all the time. It's something that is constantly being done. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about communicable diseases. And communicable diseases, it's a key word and it's a word that comes up a lot. It's a, your infectious diseases. And in terms of what it is, it is, it's a disease that's caused by a virus, a bacteria, a protist, a fungi, and it's spread in animals and plants. Um, so in terms of 
the differences between some of these, you need to know that bacteria and viruses reproduce really, really quickly inside your body. Um, but viruses, they're slightly different because they live inside of your cells. So instead of just living inside of you, kind of around in the tissues or the fluid inside your bodies, these viruses will actually actually live and reproduce inside of your cells and that can cause cell damage and then bacteria what they do is they produce toxins and poisons which can damage tissues and make us feel ill so that's the difference between bacteria and virus even though a lot of times they act very very similar in terms of how you feel um, but that's a slight difference between them and now that we've covered kind of what a communicable disease is and the different different types of communicable diseases in terms of there are viruses, bacteria, protists, and fungi, um, those four categories, you actually need to know some of these specific ones. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through each section. If you want to pause at any point in time, feel free. If you want to actually get up um, a diagram, I'll let you know if I think it would be useful to get a diagram. Um, but definitely for some of these, it would be really, really helpful for you guys to get a little bit of a visual. So with the viral diseases, there are three viral diseases that you need to be aware of. The measles, HIV, and tobacco mosaic virus or TMV which is commonly um, known as. So we're going to go through each of these and I think in terms of you guys looking at diagrams I think measles might be one to get kind of an idea of the symptoms and what a person looks like so if they have measles it might be a good idea to get that up. So you might want to pause and do that before carrying on. So measles, um, it's a virus, and the symptoms that it shows is there's usually a fever and a red rash. The rash can be more extreme in some patients and less extreme in others. Um, it kind of all depends on the severity of the measles. And it is um, a very serious illness that can be fatal if complications happen. Um, but because it is a virus that has been around for quite some time now, we actually are very, very good at dealing with measles because we've been able to study it for um, a long time now. So most young children are actually vaccinated against measles. Um, if you ask a group of 100 20, 25 year olds right now, they'd probably all tell you if they're in the UK or Canada, other states, they'll probably all tell you that they got their measles vaccination when they were a baby. Um, and how measles is spread, it's spread by different um, droplets that can be either transferred through sneezing or coughs. So it is an airborne virus with the measles, but because so many people are vaccinated against it, the spreads um, of it, if someone does get it, is usually generally very, very, very low. The second one that we're going to take a look at is HIV. Um, sometimes people call it HIV and AIDS because a lot of times those words go hand in hand together. If you have HIV, the last stage of the infection is called AIDS. So that's why most people say it together. 
And initially, when you're diagnosed with HIV, you'll have flu-like symptoms, um, and it can be controlled with antiviral drugs. There's lots of different drugs that have been developed, and it can be controlled a little bit that way. And what this HIV virus does is it attacks your body's immune systems. So your white blood cells, um, its, it's primary focus is to attack your immune system. Now the last stage of HIV infection um, is called AIDS um, at this point in time and it's usually what happens is the body's immune system is badly damaged so that the patients or the people who have this um, this viral disease they're not able to deal with any other infections or cancers uh, very well so that's why it can be fatal and HIV is the spread by sexual contact or exchange of bodily fluids so it could be the exchange of blood um, oftentimes we um, we usually inform people to be really, really careful if they are sharing needles uh, with drugs or tattoos or piercings and things like that because that's something to always look out for. Um, but I'm sure none of you will be doing drugs with needles anyway, so you will not have to worry about that. Um, but just do make sure if you are getting a piercing or a tattoo that they are using a clean needle that has not been used on anybody else because that is something that um, you should always be asking for. So that's measles, HIV, and the last one that you need to know about, it's called the tobacco mosaic virus or TMV. If you write TMV, V on an exam, that's absolutely fine. It's completely acceptable to do that now. Um, and it's a plant pathogen, it's a plant virus. And a lot of the times, if you Google images of it, you're gonna see Google um, images of tomato plants because tomato plants oftentimes are affected by the tobacco mosaic virus. And what it does is it gives a mosaic pattern or discoloration of the leaves, usually that is a little bit yellow. So it looks like the leaf, instead of it being a pure kind of green color all the, th all the way throughout, it kind of looks like it's spotted with yellow um, to give it kind of a mosaic pattern. And that discoloration, it affects the leaves and hopefully you remember from studying from going back you remember that the leaves in a plant is where photosynthesis happens so if the plant can't photosynthesize as much usually its growth is affected for, by it the plant's not growing as much so those are the three viral diseases next we're going to take a look at bacterial diseases before we look at fungal diseases. And the bacteria diseases, there are two that you need to know. The first one's salmonella, and the second one is gonorrhea. Now, salmonella, most of you will recognize that one, um, and you'll be used to it being called food poison, or food poisoning, because that's usually what it is called. And it's, it's spread by a bacteria that we eat, or if food isn't prepared properly, if it's prepared in unhygienic conditions, things, utensils, cutlery isn't washed properly between um, foods, sometimes it can be transferred that way. And a lot of times we always associate it with raw eggs, raw 
raw chicken and things like that um but luckily for us actually in the uk and in a lot of countries um now the the chickens or the poultry um so any of your of your birds your poultry are actually vaccinated against salmonella um so this is done um, as a wild, wide-scale level, and all those birds are vaccinated against salmonella. However, if you do get it, um, the common symptoms are fever, abdominal cramps, vomiting, diarrhea, and it's because that bacteria um, is inside of you and it's making toxins that cause all these things to happen. So that's salmonella, and the last one of your bacterial diseases is gonorrhea. And gonorrhea is a sexually transmitted disease or sexually transmitted illness. And the symptoms um, for gonorrhea is that there is a thick yellow or green discharge um, from the vagina or the penis, and also there's pain when urinating. So Oddly enough, actually, this question does come up a lot on your GCSE questions where you're asked for two of these symptoms. So it's really important for you to try to remember them. Um, and how we um, prevent this is through um, sexual barriers, contraception, and things like that. If you do end up getting gonorrhea, though, um, there are different antibiotics and treatments so it is not something that you would have for your entire life so those are the two bacterial diseases salmonella and gonorrhea and the next one is a fungal disease and the fungal disease that aqa would like you to remember is rose black spot and it's a fungus it is a plant fungus where purple or black spots develop on the leaves so um you might want to look at a diagram or a picture of the rose black spot compare, compared to the tobacco mosaic virus just so you can kind of see the differences. So with rose black spot, there's a purple or black spot on the leaves. Um, and a lot of the times this, this fungal disease causes those leaves actually to kind of get, they drop off, they turn yellow. Um, and so because of this, because there's a lack of leaves, um, and because a lot of those leaves are infected with purple or black spots, the growth of the plant is also stunted. The growth of the plant is reduced because that plant isn't able to photosynthesize as much. Um, so the spread of this fungus is usually by water or wind. Um, and how we treat it, if we notice that this is happening in a garden or um, wild, wide scale for your agricultural uses, what you would do is there's a fungal, fungal sides or fungicides, which can be sprayed, um, on top of the leaves to try to remove it. Um, or you can also remove the infected leaves or separate out the infected plants to try to save all your crops. And the very last one that you need to know about is the protist disease. And the protist disease that you need to know is malaria. And malaria is, it's a protist that has a life cycle that includes a mosquito. So what this means is that the mosquito actually is going to be the one that is injecting the malaria into the organism. 
so that mosquito will land on, for example, a deer or a bear or a human, whatever it lands on, and it can actually put that malaria inside of that person into their bloodstream. And what the malaria does is it can cause reoccurring episodes of fever. So you'll get a fever and then the fever will keep coming back over and over and over again. Um, and what we need to try to do to protect ourselves from a malaria is we need to stop the spreads of the malaria by preventing the mosquitoes from breeding. Um, or also just trying to be really, really sensible if you know you are in an area that has got malaria or an area where there are a lot of mosquitoes, use mosquito nets, um, use mosquito repellents, get those fly swatters to get to kill mosquitoes whenever possible. And if you are traveling to, for example, Southeast Asia or other countries, potentially in Africa, a lot of the travel... Um, forums will tell you whether or not they've got confirmed cases so you can try to get um, prepared before you go to those places. Now those were the four categories of the different types of pathogens that you need to know about. So we've got the viral diseases which we just talked about, the measles, HIV, tobacco mosaic virus, the bacteria diseases, there are two of them, salmonella and gonorrhea. Fungal disease was rose black spot. And the protist disease um, was malaria, which is spread through the mosquito. Now, the next section is really going to be talking about the human defense systems. So how our body defends. And there's non-specific defenses, uh, which usually are things that don't involve white blood cells. So if you're used to thinking about your immune system, white blood cells, and what they do, the non-specific defenses are basically kind of everything else. So your skin acts as a barrier. Your nose um, has got little tiny hairs in it. Your trachea also has, t and bronchi have tiny hairs called cilia, which waft and get rid of and remove pathogens. Um... You've also got mucus, which can trap pathogens. Your stomach has got an acid called hydrochloric acid in it. So if you eat any food that has got bacteria or anything on it, your stomach can actually help destroy it. And then if the pathogen does enter your, your body and your immune system, what happens is your white blood cells will do three things. These three things are really, really important for you to try to remember. There's lots of diagrams um, that you can look up for this. So you should be writing down one to three on your page because this is really, really important. White blood cells, what do they do? This comes up a lot of times on your biology paper one. One of the first things that your white blood cells do is it makes antitoxins. Think about the word anti toxins. We talked about how pathogens make toxins, which make us feel ill. The, the pathogens, the virus, the bacteria, the fungal, the protists, those things make toxins, which don't make us feel very good, or don't make the animal feel very good, or don't make the plant perform as well as it should. So what white blood cells do is they make antitoxins to get rid of the toxins. The second thing that they do is they make antibodies. 
And antibodies are specific proteins which will fit on to the pathogen perfectly. So they're complementary. That's what it means to because they're fitting on perfectly. They're complementary in shape. The antibodies, which are made by the white blood cells, will attach and latch on to the outer surface of the virus or the bacteria. And this helps destroy it. So I just want to do a little bit of a sidetrack. So if you look up a diagram actually right now, it might be a really, really good idea to actually look up white blood cells, antibody, antigen. I've said a third word now, which is antigen. Every single cell in your body has got a cell surface membrane, which we talked about in that first podcast about your biology paper one, the cell surface membrane. And every different type of cell, its cell membrane is slightly different because it's a slightly different cell. And how our body recognizes that it's a slightly different cell is it's got antigens. And antigens act like codes, act like markers. It's almost like a hello, my name is. You know those hello, my name is tags? So, and then it would say, for example, salmonella. So those antigens are markers. So our body, what our body actually is really, really great at doing, and our white blood cells are fantastic at doing this, is if our white blood cells are going around in our bloodstream and our blood plasma, and they come in contact and they are rec- they recognize that a cell doesn't belong there. That's usually when they start making antibodies, which will attach onto these cells, because our body's really good at recognizing the fact that it is a pathogen. It doesn't belong there. So it will first, well, I'm not exactly sure the exact order of this, but it will make antitoxins to get rid of the toxins. It will make antibodies to attach to the pathogen and destroy it. And the third thing it will do is a process called phagocytosis. And phagocytosis is when a white blood cell will surround that foreign invader cell. And what it does is it surrounds it and it actually surrounds it so much so that it's able to close around that cell so that that cell is now inside of the white blood cell. So when I'm teaching this, I actually usually don't use the word phagocytosis. What I use, what I usually say is when I'm describing it, is that the white blood cell engulfs and destroys. Because that's usually what's on Mark's schemes. Phagocytosis is as well, but engulf and destroy kind of help students remember it better. Engulf and destroy. Antitoxins, antibodies, engulf and destroy. Those are the three things that your white blood cells will do if there is a pathogen that is inside of your body. Now, the next thing that we need to talk about is kind of the drug aspect of 
of this whole section. And we're going to start by looking at vaccination, then antibiotics and painkillers and kind of go on a bit of a tangent about that with the discovery and the development of drugs. So a vaccination is something that is going to prevent the illness. Um, and we've got lots of different vaccinations for lots of different things right now. But what you need to know in terms of what a vaccination is, is it is a small um, quantity, a small amount, which is usually injected into your bloodstream, of a dead or an inactive form of the pathogen. So it's not an active form of that, um, that virus. What it is, is it will actually be injecting a dead or weakened version of that pathogen. And the whole reason that we do that is so that our white blood cells recognize this, this pathogen and they're able to process it in a non-threatening environment because it's the dead or the weakened version of it. So those white blood cells are able to make antibodies. So it's almost like a practice run so that if the same pathogen re-enters your body at any point in time throughout the rest of your life, your blood cells, they've already seen this pathogen, they've already dealt with this pathogen before. So what your white blood cells are actually able to do is that they can respond really, really quickly. And there's a lot of graphing questions about this, because if you look at the graphic graphs if you google some graphs about vaccinations and antibody production you'll see what i'm talking about when if you don't have the vaccination for this usually your body doesn't respond as quickly but if you have the vaccination for this your body will respond extremely quickly and make a huge amount of antibodies at a very very fast rate so that your body and your white blood cells can combat this pathogen um, so specific vaccines are made for specific viruses and as soon as we encounter a virus we're able to look at the DNA, we're able to pinpoint kind of what is this virus and then scientists are able to start building and making vaccines for it and testing it out to make sure that it works well. So that's vaccination. The second thing that we need to know about is antibiotics and painkillers. And antibiotics, um, one of the ones that often is thrown around in there is penicillin because um, it was a very famous one that was discovered and it's one that's still used today. Now with antibiotics, you need to know that they are going to kill and they're going to destroy bacteria. So you need to try to remember that vaccines are for viruses and antibiotics are for bacteria and they're only able to treat bacteria because oftentimes there's a one mark question that's kind of about that. Um, and antibiotics cannot kill viruses. And then the other thing I said was painkillers and painkillers are really, if you think about it, they kill the pain. So they don't actually help with anything, but painkillers treat symptoms. They don't actually, they, so they treat the symptoms, they treat the sore throat, they 
treat the cough, but they don't actually kill or get rid of the pathogen. So they kind of just help you cope with having the pathogen and enable you to be able to still function and function quite at a high level um, while your body is trying to kill the pathogens within your body with the white blood cells, the antitoxins, antibodies, and the phagocytosis. So that's a difference between vaccination and antibiotics. And it's really, really, really important for you to try to remember that antibiotics do not kill viruses. So they will not work. Um, they will not work at all. And they'll be useless and ineffective. Now, the last thing that we're going to take a look at um, on this podcast is the discovery and the development of drugs. So you need to be able to really just know that there is a process when we discover and develop new medicines. There's pre-clinical testing, there's clinical testing, and then a lot of people are usually involved with figuring out if these medicines and if um, these vaccines, these antibiotics, these painkillers, if they're effective. And that's really what they spend a lot of time in the labs doing and perfecting before we ever see it on the shelves. Um, traditionally, a lot of drugs um, were actually found from plants and microorganisms. So that's why a lot of people still go out and they study plants and they look at the chemical properties within plants themselves to try to be able to discover new forms of medicine. And a lot of scientists are still going to the Amazon rainforest and they're actually talking with different tribes who still live in these remote places to try to figure out if there are any plants that have healing properties so that they can bring it back to the modern world um, and get it into labs and synthesize new medicines and things like that. So there actually are a lot of documentaries, a lot of programs on this, and it's really, really exciting. So in terms of traditional drugs that you need to know about, there are three traditional drugs that you need to know about. The first one is a heart drug um, called Digitalis. And it's a quite a famous one. And it originated um, originally from a plant called foxgloves. So you can look that up um, to see what that actually looks like. But it's a heart drug, Digitalis, and it's used to help patients who need it. Um, and it's originally derived from foxgloves. Then the painkiller aspirin, which is currently used all the time um, throughout the world um, still today, that painkiller aspirin originated from a willow tree. So back a um, couple hundred years ago, what people realized is when they were making teas and things like that, a lot of, a lot of people would actually boil willow bark. And they noticed that people who, for example, were shot or people who had um, or dealing with a lot of pain, if they had this tea, usually the symptoms became a little bit more mild. And, and it's because that the willow itself has actually um, healing properties in it 
that act as a painkiller. Um, so we were able to take willow and actually make it really, really concentrated into a pill form called aspirin, which now works really, really well. And the last one is penicillin. And that was discovered by Alexander Fleming um, through the penicillin mold. And he was extremely famous for this. Uh, it happened almost by accident, but a lot of us um, who are able to take penicillin and not allergic to it are really, really thankful that it was discovered. Now, the um, pharmacies and all of all of those different branches that develop this, um, they have to spend a long time actually looking at the chemical compounds and testing them on a lot of different things to make sure that they're safe and to make sure that they're effective. And new drugs, when they're first made and produced, they're not mass produced um, because that would be a waste. But what, they're d what actually happens is these new drugs, they're tested extensively. So for a very, very long time, they're actually tested for the toxicity they're tested for the efficacy, so how well it works, and the dosage. Because worse things um, that could happen is that actually drug companies release these drugs without properly testing this. Um, and if you look at what happened with the drug called thalidomide, you can see where historically this has actually gone really really wrong um, and it has affected a lot of people. There are lots of documentaries about thalidomides um, which show kind of how this has really damaged and ruined a lot of people's lives um, because a, a drug company didn't go through the proper steps and they just saw it as a miracle drug and they just used it and pumped it out to the general public for a number of years and what it did is it actually it was targeted towards uh, pregnant women and it was told that it was a wonderful drug for morning sickness when originally it was a, a sleeping pill but they didn't actually do any tests to see how these pregnant women would actually re react um, and more importantly how it would affect their unborn children and what we noticed when all these babies were starting to be born eight months nine months down the line is that there actually was a huge 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 developmental effect and ultrasounds 3d scans they didn't exist um to the to the quality that we have them now so these babies weren't able to be checked along the lines and what happened is that a lot of these babies were actually born with huge birth defects and um, they could have stunted limbs um, stunted arms stunted legs um, or not be born with arms or legs at all really that had fully developed so this was a huge problem um, throughout the u.s this was a huge problem that became a worldwide problem and it was banned for a very 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 long time um, 
So that's why drug companies have to be extremely cautious before they actually release their drugs. Um, and they have to test it for toxins. They have to test it to make sure that it is effective and it does work. Um, and that the dosage is correct because you need to make sure that the dose is high enough to actually work, but not too high to have any underlying negative effects. So first thing that happens is you have preclinical trials and tests that are done. And these are done using cells and tissues. Um, and some companies are still doing live animal testing, but a lot of companies are trying to focus more on cells and tissues because we can now grow those in the labs. Um, so we test it um, for toxins, how effective it is, and then the dose. And then there are clinical trials that are used on healthy volunteers and patients. And at the very start of these clinical trials, there's a very, very low dose of the drug, which is given almost a diluted, watered-down version of the drug to make sure that there are no negative effects on those people. Um, and then once they've done this for enough time and they realize that it is safe, they're able to do further clinical trials and carry those out to increase the dosage to find the optimum dosage that can be used for the drug. And the last thing um, that is often done in these trials now is something called a double blind trial. And that's where the doctors, as well as the patients, don't actually know if the patients are getting a drug or a placebo drug, which is usually a sugar pill, um, which has no, none of the actual drug in it. And only after the trial's finished um, do people look back and actually see are able to actually study and make conclusions from what has happened. So that's an extremely fair way um, to do a trial, the double blind trial. So that's everything for your section three of your biology paper one. We've really just talked about everything we could possibly talk about in terms of infection and response. We've talked about the different types of diseases that you need to know, the viruses, the bacteria, the fungal and the protist. We've talked about how your body defends itself against these pathogens and what your white blood cells do. Then we touched on vaccination, antibiotics and painkillers. And lastly, we talked about the discovery and the development of drugs. So that's kind of everything that you need to know for infection and response. So make sure that you come back, make sure that you're going back through um, and listening and trying to remember as much of this as possible. And I highly, highly suggest that you actually do take a look at the thalidomide documentary because it is extremely interesting and really does show kind of where the development of drugs um, testing kind of our basis for how we do it now and the safety measures that are put in place now. So I hope you guys have a lovely day um, and stay safe.